Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been really moved lately by John's Gospel and how Jesus teaches his disciples and us about what it looks like to be a son of his father and our father and how he moves from place to place. And we have these different signs that Jesus performs, beginning with the first one in Cana, where he turns the water into wine, the second one being the healing of the official son in Capernaum, and now the third one, which is the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And in the last sign that we looked at, um, there was no mention of the disciples being present, although I imagine they were onlookers and witnesses. And here in this gospel, it's the same thing. It begins in chapter five, verse one. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water, whoever then first, after the water, was stirred up, stepped in, and was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So here Jesus, rather than going right up to the feast, which was undoubtedly a religious feast in Jerusalem, Jesus stops at the Sheep Gate at this pool. And this shows us Jesus's priority. You know, he's going out looking for people, looking for the people that are the most you know, open and the most in need. And, and here, you know, he chooses this place where these, there's these five porticos, which were like uh, areas, like porches, where people could get out from, from the sun or the, or the rain or the cold. And in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind and lame and withered. And, you know, where would that kind of a place be in your community? I was asking this when we did a Bible study at a local park, you know, um, a couple, like four days after there'd been a drive-by shooting just a block away. And in a way, that very place was kind of like a portico because uh, there was a big, uh, you know, fishing area where the native people, they, they go and they, and they fish for salmon. You know, the king salmon, um, they're running up the North Fork of the Skagit River and actually up all the forks of the Skagit. And so there were people moving, putting their boats in and, and taking the boats out in the woods, there's a huge homeless encampment. There's uh, there are lots of uh, sort of low-income, you know, places, and so there's lots of uh, people living in the area, and 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 there's gangs that are active as well. And, and I'll include a story a little bit later, just about one particular boy that you know that had um, you know that was shot, you know, just right around there. Anyway, there we were in a sort of portico right there, and we were actually meeting. Um, on these big rocks uh, before this huge statue of a, of a, of a salmon. And um, Jessica, one of our community members, you know, she said, well, for me, the sheep gate would be like the second floor of, you know, of the motel, you know, where she's, you know, she's one of the cleaning ladies who cleans up the rooms. And that second floor has been rented out to a, an agency that provides housing to the homeless. And, you know, the jail would be another example of, of maybe a place like, like the, 
like these five porticos. And at any rate, um, these people are looking um, for a miracle, really. They're hoping that they will be able, they'll be able to get into the water uh, after the angel, you know, stirs up the water. So it's, it's like, what is the image of God that these people have who are waiting there and, and wanting to make sure that they're the first in the water because it's the people that are first who actually get healed and everybody else, I guess, loses out. And, you know, the image of God, wow, it's an image of almost like the same image you'd have of, of the God um, if you saw the casino as as being run by God. You know, you, you go and, you know, maybe you'll lose, maybe you'll win. And it's, uh, and there's no way to predict it. And so the God here would be a God who favors the strong and the fast over, you know, those that, you know, that can't get there ahead of the others. And, and this is a God who rewards, you know, those that are the quickest and the most able and, um, and then consequently, I guess, punishes those that are, that are the weaker and the unable, you know, the disabled. And so it's a pretty sad situation. And here's Jesus, though, who's actually far above any angel or whatever this power was that was, you know, that was a pretender, God, you know, this, this angel. Actually, it's mentioned as being the angel of the Lord um, that comes up during certain seasons. You know, I mean, was this just a belief system that was like, uh, you know, like people had, that people had that was, um, you know, like a superstition? I mean, I would, I would assume it was. But anyway, here's Jesus himself, God's son, who shows up. And um, there's a man who was there who had been ill for 38 years. Wow, that's a long time to be ill. And how would you feel if you had been ill for 38 years and you'd been, I guess, missing out on, on experiencing healing, um, especially there at that, at that portico? So verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, here, this is such a beautiful thing. The very first thing we mention, we see about Jesus is that he sees and he sees this man's condition and he knows that he's been laying there in that condition for a very long time. I think that in and of itself is comforting, you know, for anybody who is in a situation of having a, you know, like a prolonged illness, you know, um, being stuck in any condition, whether it's an addiction or mental health disorder or or a physical ailment to be seen you know and to be understood to be recognized known and so but Jesus doesn't stop there you know he says to the man do you wish to get well you know um why would Jesus begin his encounter with this man by by just asking him if he wishes to be well you know um Jesus doesn't first introduce himself, does he? He doesn't say, hey, by the way, I'm Jesus, son, son of God. Um, I'm the savior of the world. I'm the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <clears throat> you know, he, he comes in and just asks this question about whether the man himself wants to be well. And that's a good question. You know, when we, we talked about this around the salmon statue, you know, people were saying, yeah, you know, when um, one of the ladies was saying, yeah, when I was an addict, I mean, there were times when I did not want to be clean and I just wasn't ready to give up the cocaine. And 
So the question that Jesus has about whether this man is ready to, sh to change his identity of being someone who is ill, who's, and he's had this identity of being, of being stuck for 38 years, whether they really want to move out of that identity. And um, the sick man answers him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So right away, the man is um, has, showing that he has this image of, of salvation as being something that only is possible if he has someone helping him, um, which isn't, isn't so wrong. I mean, one of the things that I guess is traditionally believed about, you know, tr trust, trusting in Jesus is recognizing, okay, like in a 12-step program, knowing that I'm, not, I'm unable to save myself and I need a higher power to rescue me from my addiction. And so to recognize, yes, I need a higher power, <laughs> that that's okay. But here the man is saying, "There's I have no man to put me into the pool. And so this is a, a guy who's stuck and his only hope is that somebody would come along and get him into the pool first. And, um, but instead, like, like he's been frustrated because every time someone gets in ahead of him and, um, you know, this is a great um, point to begin a, a conversation with, with people just about whether they feel like God, is, God shows preference or whether the society shows preference to certain people over and against others and where they fit in that whole, in that whole situation. And here this man is dependent. He's got a dependency mindset, doesn't he? And so Jesus is, his encounter with this man is, is training his disciples and training us regarding how we might approach people who are in a stuck situation like this. So Jesus says to the man, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. So there's three commands that would all be impossible for a man who had been ill for 38 years in the way that this man was. And, um, but Jesus, you know, what's he saying? You know, is he, is this word meant to be understood as sort of a, a resurrection word? Like when he says to the dead Lazarus, uh, Lazarus, come forth. Or are we to understand this as Jesus actually helping this man move out of a, of a mindset of dependency where he thinks that the only hope he has is for someone else who, uh, who isn't there, you know, to, to be there to help him. Um, I believe this, these three imperatives, get up, pick up your pallet and walk, show that Jesus actually believes in this man, that this man is, um, is able to do this. And, and it's the word of Jesus that actually empowers this man to be able to do the very thing that he hasn't been able to do. Because in verse nine, immediately the man became well, picked up his pallet and began to walk. Wow. So here is a man who doesn't even know um, who he's uh, being addressed by, you know, who um, hasn't made any confession of faith, hasn't um, prayed. He is not doing anything religious. You know, he's, he's just there among fellow sufferers, you know, others who are lame, withered, sick, blind. And, um, but now he's able to walk. And um, I think this is 
you know, powerful for us because if we're modeling ourselves after Jesus, um, is this then suggesting that we, you know, we also can approach people and and dare to speak um, words of that express our belief in people? You know, one time when I was in the jail years ago, I remember um, being with a group of 15, 20 guys and we were doing this Bible study and we came right to this point. And, uh, and there was a man there who was, uh, who'd, who'd been a chronic alcoholic and drug dealer and drug addict. And, and I was trying to think of an example of what this would be like. So I turned to him and I said, so this would be just like if I said to you, Hey, Jose, um, man, just, you don't need to drink anymore. You can stop, just stop. And, you know, stop smoking that, that crack. And, um, and wow, you know, you have dreams, go for them, you know, do that work of opening your mechanic store and, um, you know, do what's on your heart. You can do it. And when I said that, the man, his head just jolted back and he says, whoa, dude, you know, something happened. Something happened when you said that, you know, I, I really feel like I could do that. I could do that. I could do those things that you said. Because that's exactly what I feel called to do. And wow. And he was just kind of shocked. And I was kind of shocked. And I thought, wow, I wonder, you know, whether the spirit was just moving and empowering me to be able to say something to this man that was actually a word of life. Now, let's check out this next part, which is just crazy. It mentions now in verse, uh, end of verse nine. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Uh Uh-oh. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it's the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Okay, the guy's busted, right? He's <clears throat> he's being violated now by the religious police. And, you know, the sirens are, are behind him. The red lights are flashing. and But he answers them, the one who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. So it's like he he puts the blame on on the person um, who is unnamed at this point and says, look, I I only did what I was told to do, which, uh, you know, if you're if you're being uh, arrested for a crime, no one's going to sympathize with you if you just say, well, yeah, I shot that person because somebody else told me to shoot them or whatever it is. Right. But anyway, this guy puts the blame on Jesus. And then they asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? So they're wanting more information to kind of go to the, you know, the, the true instigator, whatever, the perpetrator of this, of this crime of, of carrying his, his mattress on the Sabbath. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Wow, so the man didn't even know who'd healed him. Jesus, his healing was so free, freely given, without conditions, that, um, you know, Jesus didn't have any prerequisites. It wasn't like he was requiring the man to listen to a sermon or to know who he was and to confess him as the savior. And um, he didn't, there's no mention of any forgiveness of sins. So Jesus uh, Jesus did like a drive-by, a drive-by healing, as Gracie said during our Bible study. Um, he does a drive-by and he takes off, he slips away because uh, there's people in the place, right? So he doesn't want to be seen. He's this covert presence. And um, is this suggesting that God continues to move in this way? And that 
Jesus here is modeling something that he's inviting us into to be be covert healers who are who are agents who are just like agents of salt and light who are out in the world who are who are speaking words of life and healing but without um with, you know without making it into something that is causing people to feel indebted to us or to you know to go to our church or to or to confess or to get saved you know to to be born again or whatever seems like it might be um and yet later we see that um that uh, afterwards jesus found him in the temple i love this you know here's jesus he's on the move and he was the instigator coming to the pool of bethesda and seeing and knowing um, that this man had been sick for a long time and now he's also the instigator he finds the man in the temple you know i wonder how he found him you know um of course jesus um he has his you know spiritual gps system and he knows where all of us are and he finds the man and then he says behold you have become well do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you wow so that's interesting so this seems to be suggesting that the man was even actively sinning when jesus healed him and maybe was even actively sinning even right at that point because jesus says to him don't sin anymore like, uh, you know, we don't know what that man's sin consisted of. But Jesus is, you know, is telling him after the fact that he's, you know, after he's been made whole, after he's fully recovered, um, not to sin anymore. So that, uh, so as to avoid, you know, like more suffering. And uh, and this is a beautiful notion of just uh, of sort of uh discipleship really coming alongside behind behind after god has already moved in someone's life and uh, recently um just this last a week ago we had um, a situation where a young man was shot and um he was just a 16 year old and he was walking right near the park um where you know we have our bible study every friday at 2 a.m on a, on a early saturday morning and this this boy was with other other fellow gang members he calls them his brothers and this is a kid who's been in foster care and uh you know is living with a woman who you know who has um, come out of prison recently like three years ago did a did a bunch of time in prison and and who is you know really on her feet and caring for this stepson uh, along with her own kids and but she's a person who hasn't come to our church at all but knows a lot of people that do and has had resistances that um, and and not wanted really anything to do, you know, with like the church. And but anyway, this mom um, contacted one of the members of our faith community and said, look, my son, um, my stepson has been shot. And the, the boy, when he was shot, had um, he ran three blocks, hit under a car and then was picked up, um, you know, I guess by friends and taken to the ER. And then they flew him in a helicopter down to Harborview Hospital in Seattle. And uh, anyway, then our our our, fam our church member, you know, put the word out right away, just immediately on um, Facebook Messenger, you know, um, letting everyone know that we needed to pray. And so we, we all got the message and we were praying and we were speaking words of healing over this boy from a distance. And, um, 
the mom went down there and, and, and was with you know her stepson. But anyway, almost like within a couple of hours after the prayer started, this boy's healing. I mean, all the blood stopped. He'd already lost like 800 cc's of blood. And he was in critical condition. I mean, he was on a respirator. And um, like his life was really at risk. But the blood stops. And um, quite rapidly, he recovered. And um, that recovery, even before he was released from the hospital, the mom um, last Sunday came to church and cried a lot of the way. I mean, most of the time through the whole service, he was so deeply moved that um, that, her, that her stepson had been, you know, was recovered. And then then the boy, um, you know, got out this early this week, and I was able to go and meet with him and interview him and talk with him. And uh, anyway. Um, he wasn't a believer. He, he believes in a higher power, but not in Jesus. And so here's an example of someone who, who Jesus heals, you know, without them knowing, you know, knowing Jesus. And, and the mom now is, is just, uh, you know, super keen on coming to all of Tierra Nueva's activities and Bible studies. And it uh, feels like God has become real to her. So now at this point, verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So it's like Jesus is getting ratted on by this guy. You know, um, he's um, like, whose side is he on? It's it's like he's recovered and now, um, you know, he's got a, maybe he's feeling pressured to comply with the system and be in good standing. You know, whatever the case, he tells on Jesus. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing th these things on the Sabbath. And then, uh, then Jesus really gets himself into trouble in verse 17 because he answered them, my father is working until now and I myself am working. So Jesus, um, you know, um, really subverts the whole system of understanding the Sabbath in this legalistic way by just saying, look, my, my dad is working 24 seven and me too. And for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, so here Jesus is, um, is really um, revealing himself, isn't he, as the son. And, um, but he's also um, like welcoming his disciples into that same status. Because earlier in chapter three, we learn, um, and in chapter one also that, you know, that when we're born, you know, when we receive Jesus and we believe in his name, we're given the authority to become sons and daughters of the father who are born, not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of, of men and women, but of God. And so it's that new birth that brings us into the family of God. And Jesus's words to Nicodemus in John chapter three that unless you are born from above, you're born again, you cannot see and you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And it's, it's you're born of being born of water and of the spirit is what brings us into this new identity. And so that, um, so I believe this, this miracle story is meant to, you know, to really show us like pure empowered ministry in the authority of, uh, of being, uh, and a, a son, a child, a daughter, son of, of the father of Jesus. And check out these next verses. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, 
unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. So anyway, so Jesus is is really humbly like um, showing that he is under authority and he is doing this in harmony with his father, who's, who's really the shot caller, who's showing him and guiding him, you know, maybe guiding him like um, right there to, to see and to know, you know, that this man who was laying there had been there, had been sick for 38 years. And, um, and so we're invited into this, um, this relationship where there's communication that we can expect, you know, from our father who will show us, um, you know, showing assumes like seeing and, and noticing, you know, what, um, what God himself is about, um, in that moment, in that place and, and what God is doing. And, and so we want to learn, I want to, I feel inspired to, to pay close attention to what, you know, what I'm noticing and, and, and to trust that it could be that it's the father who's showing, you know, showing me that. So Jesus goes on for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life. Even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes for not even the father judges anyone, but he himself has given all judgment to the son so that all will honor the son, even as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And then verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And I wonder whether really what's happening is this man who is stuck there at the pool, who was stuck there, you know, he heard the word of Jesus, get up, pick up your pallet and walk which was the word of the father, right? And he believed it, okay? Like he responded to it and the healing was immediate. He was made well, he was made whole and he was able, empowered to pick up his pallet and to walk. Um, and he was breaking the law right at that very moment, wasn't he? So. And, and there's no judgment from Jesus about that for sure, but it's the, it's the religious law enforcers that are on his case. Jesus goes on, um, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. And um, I just really want to, I guess, witness this more, uh, those that are dead, um, you know, maybe symbolically dead. Like I think of so many people that are just caught up in, um, just in their scene of, of just the rat race or stuck in a deep depression or in a mental health disorder where they're just tripping out and paranoid and full of anxiety and fear, you know, or they're caught up in an addiction. And, you know, um, the hour is coming when the dead will hear uh, the voice of the Son of God and live. And may we learn how to tune into that, you know, to what the Father is showing us and 
speak the words that God is inspiring us to speak as, um, as Jesus's disciples. You know, may we become witnesses of the resurrection power of Jesus that heals people, um, you know, who aren't even believers, who don't even know who Jesus is, who um, afterwards can be, you know, can be helped to, to learn who that, um, who it was that, you know, that brought them from death to life.